0: What I think is really important if you, for example, try to deploy infrastructure as code changes to the main controllers that exists in your Azure environment, then it's important that not only the management plane admins like the platform owner of Azure will approve this change as part of the pipeline. This is also important that the identity ops, so that are the guys that are located in the control plane level of the enterprise access model, they must also approve this request in my opinion because otherwise you have room for for privilege escalation paths that would be maybe abuse
1: mobile workforces cloud applications and digitalization are changing every aspect of the modern enterprise and with radical transformation come new business risks Welcome to Hybrid Identity Protection, the premier podcast for cybersecurity pros charged with defending hybrid identity environments. Presented by Semperis, the pioneers of identity driven cyber resilience for the hybrid enterprise. And now, here's your host, 15 time Microsoft MVP and Active Directory security expert, Sean Doobie.
2: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HIP Podcast. Developers charged with building a modern application in Azure are generally more concerned with making the application work than they are with the administration and security model. But privileged access design, in other words, how to best architect and secure the use of privileged identities in an app, is arguably the most important part of the design. What principles and best practices should you follow? My guest today is Thomas Nonheim, Thomas is a cloud architect from Germany with a focus on cloud native identity and security solutions in Microsoft Azure. Thomas can be found blogging at cloud-architect.net, that's architect with an A-R-C-H-I-T-E-K-T.net, and speaking at community events. He is also a member of the Azure Meetup Bonn, as in Bonn, Germany, two Ns, and Cloud Identity Summit organization team. He has been awarded Microsoft MVP for Azure since 2020. He has also just spoken on this topic at Global Hybrid Identity Protection Conference. Welcome, Thomas.
0: Hi, Sean. Thanks for having me. Uh,
2: My pleasure. And joining me in this adventure is my Sempris compatriot, Chief Architect, Gil
0: Kirkpatrick,
2: who will be leading today's developer-focused conversation. Welcome back.
3: Hey, Sean, how are you?
2: Thomas, you, in your presentation, you talked about the, the Microsoft Enterprise Access Model in Azure and where it came from, where it has evolved from. Can you tell us a little bit about the Enterprise Access Model and its beginnings and what's, what it's all about?
0: Yeah, sure. So I guess many of us have a background in Active Directory. And back in the good old days, there was something like the ESAE model. And one of the major approach of the ESAE model was to have a tiered uh, model for administration, so that we establish a least privilege design for our privilege identities and access in the Active Directory environment. And Microsoft has retired uh, this architecture or this framework, and uh, now the Enterprise Access Model is a kind of evolution uh, to this. Yeah, to this approach. And in my presentation, I've talked about yeah, practical approach approaches and how I interpret uh, tate, uh, this model. And for me, I think one of the most important things is that we have a tiered administration levels. So following the principles of least privilege for AJD roles. So like the control plane for all the identity operational tasks and a management plane which has uh, mostly to do with the platform management in Azure and the third category with the workload admins. uh, So people like uh, uh, DevOps or maybe resource administrator that have on Azure resource group level, some delegated permissions. And uh, I think that is very helpful to establish a modern RBAC system uh, in the cloud or a design for your enterprise environment.
3: You know, it's interesting, Thomas, this new tiering model uh, is similar to what we used to have with ESAE, but instead of being based on tiering hosts or physical assets, because you don't have access to those anymore in the cloud, uh, it's really tiering workloads or work activities. So you're dividing up the activities in the application based on the the level of privilege and, and tiering them that way. That seems like a workable approach to divide up the administrative activities based on the privileges required.
0: Yeah, uh, on the first look, uh, it seems to be also very easy to implement. But uh, if you think about uh, the various RBAC models that we have in a Microsoft Cloud environment, so we have the Azure AD RBAC, Azure RBAC, we have resource delegation within the Azure uh, workloads, And we have also DevOps platforms like uh, GitHub Enterprise or Azure DevOps with a separated RBAC model. And everything uh, plays uh, very close together in in a world of a DevOps lifecycle. And I think uh, it's also important to consider this uh, tiered administration model uh, across the various uh, platforms that are included in privilege access. So um, yeah, it's, it's very important to to follow this clean approach across all of the uh, privilege interfaces in our cloud environment.
3: You mentioned uh, GitHub as part of the equation here too, because that's that's part of a, a typical DevOps pipeline, but it has a separate back model. Do you see people trying to somehow synchronize their the role models that they build across all the different platforms that they're using?
0: If we're talking about uh, DevOps, um, it is not only about deploying applications or developing applications. We have uh, also some solutions like AZOps from Microsoft uh, that allows us to define our Azure RBAC and policies as code. And uh, one of the recommendations by Microsoft is to implement that as part of a GitHub uh, Action Pipeline. And for that, uh, we uh, move our privilege layer to GitHub. And therefore, we must also consider who is the code owner within GitHub and has indirectly access To trigger some changes as part of the pipeline. So, I guess it makes, or that is also my strong recommendation to consider where are the privileged pipelines and what is the RBAC model that uh, exists around this pipeline and has direct or indirect impact of the deployment that will be act as part of the pipeline.
3: So, can you say a a little bit more about how? using GitHub to manage the RBAC model actually works in, in practice? Because that's not something I've done before.
0: For example, in during my presentation, I demonstrate the model in Azure DevOps because in the past, some organizations preferred Azure DevOps over GitHub because of advanced compliance options. And what I think is really important, if you, for example, try to deploy Infrastructure as code changes to the main controllers that exists in your um, Azure environment then it's important that not only the management plane uh, admins like the uh, platform owner of Azure will approve this change as part of the pipeline. This is also important that the identity ops, so um, that are the guys that uh, are located in the control plane level of the enterprise access model, they must also approve this request, in my opinion, because otherwise you have uh, room for for privilege escalation paths that will be maybe abuse. In my opinion, it is very important to handle such privileged pipelines as tier zero, like a control plane, Mm -hmm. and um, to try also synchronize the access model within GitHub. So with branch policies, with approval process, and that only control plane admins are owner, for example, of this kind of repository.
3: So essentially, you're turning... GitHub into the primary control mechanism and access control mechanism. Yeah. Very interesting.
0: Yeah, but that means also we need to consider GitHub as a very high-privilege orchestration uh, interface. Of course, in a world with more invests in infrastructure as code, it is clear that also identity-related workloads will be defined as code. But then if you are not able to secure your DevOps environment on a very common view, then it makes sense to have a separated instance that is only used for such high-critical uh, deployments, for example
3: so it's it's analogous to creating a privileged workstation in a way yeah it's a similar kind of concept is to segregate the privileged access management into an entirely separate system
0: yeah but only if it's not possible to have a secure configuration across Your uh, GitHub platform or Azure DevOps platform. But I think it is clear that we need to consider that not only the privileged Human identities, but also what Microsoft now named as workload identities, is in scope of our security concept for privileged identity and access, because we must translate our security policies for human identities, also for privileged workload identities. Otherwise, we have some really urgent issues uh, when it comes to unseen uh, privilege escalation paths, in my opinion.
3: Right. Sean, it's interesting. This model has a lot of echoes of what we've had to deal with in Active Directory in the past. It's just that the actors are different. You know, it's not specifically machines and people. It's now services and workloads.
2: Right. Um, the the principles are the same. So you need to understand a little bit more. Can you describe uh, in a little more detail what a workload identity is as opposed to, you know, identities that we're familiar with?
0: Yeah, so the first time that I heard this this wording from Microsoft was uh, during the last Ignite. And uh, what it means is we have something like service principle in Azure AD. we um, mm-hmm. got also um, identities, non-human identities outside of uh, Azure AD, like a GitHub uh, action has also identity. More and more, it, it becomes important to secure uh, non-human identities on a very similar way than, than the human identities, because uh, we must consider what is the host? Uh, is it secure uh, where the workload identity will be used? Uh, do we use a strong authentication, which means not uh, key-based credentials for, for technical accounts? We have certificates. We have maybe uh, something like managed identities in Azure, with an automatic life cycle by, uh, handled by Azure. And all these things uh, must be considered. Um, and uh, this was also one of the uh, primary uh, topics uh, of the Ignite and the Azure AD sessions. And in my opinion, um, it becomes more and more critical because we've seen uh, SolarGate um, security incidents uh, last year. And... Um, to use service principles for persistent uh, backdooring in Azure AD has become a new standard, in my opinion, important uh, to take care on service principle and, and workload identities in general.
2: It has not gotten less complicated. <laughs> <laughs> it's gotten more complicated.
3: Yeah, I remember there was there was a theory a while ago that, that uh, moving everything to the cloud would make you more secure. And simpler. And, in, and simpler, right. It's somebody else's problem. Well, no, not really. One of the areas that I think would be interesting to talk about, Thomas, is the connection or the relationships between service identities or workload identities and human identities. Because the it you probably can't have service identities or workload identities just exist in, in space with no connections at all. Usually there's going to be a person or a role or, or a group who are tasked with managing that specific identity. Um, how, how does that get managed in, in this kind of environment?
0: I think in the first step, um, and that has also to do, in, in my opinion, with the, with the tier administration model is uh, we need a kind of classification. So um, if you have an Azure administrator who takes care on uh, resources, on workloads, within a subscription, we are able to delegate him permissions to manage the workload identity on the same permission or critical privilege escalation level like the human identity. It should be back, or you can compare it with the ESAE model, it should be always uh, the case uh, on the same privilege level that uh, you delegate uh, permissions, and what what I think is, we if we have a classification of users and workload identities, uh, we can see if there are some people like, uh, like uh, Azure administrator that have uh, direct access to a to, uh, uh, workload identity, which manages your whole uh, user lifecycle process, for example. And this will be, I think, something we should abuse, it should be prevented because otherwise, uh, we have some critical paths that shouldn't be exist because our tiering model likes to keep everything on the same uh, administration level. And therefore, classification is, in my opinion, very important to see who has access of what kind of uh, workload identity.
3: Do do the uh, platforms provide any help as far as classifying and tiering the different identities or is that something you really have to do all all on your own?
0: That's a really good question. And maybe it's too early to give an answer to that, but if we take a look on uh, security attributes that was uh, published this week, Uh, and also announced at Ignite, we get advanced uh, attributes to uh, user objects and also enterprise application objects in Azure AD, which can be used for tagging and also to uh, give some custom attributes to this object. And what I've also demonstrated during my session that I'm using that for classification on on the tiering model and also uh, if enterprise application will be used as part of a pipeline. And what is the name of the pipeline? Is it a hosted agent or is it a public hosted agent? So we can use this information later on in a SIEM system, for example, to enrich our analytics. And also Microsoft plan to include the uh, attributes as part of the dynamic targeting and conditional access. And conditional access as our zero trust policy engine, I think uh, very valuable, helpful if they get the attributes as well for classification.
3: I was actually going to ask you about conditional access because that's the primary control or policy mechanism in Azure for controlling access to things. I was going to ask, how does this conditional access factor into managing the access control of these workloads.
0: And I think uh, if it comes to conditional access, it's very important to see that we have some really great enhancements to privilege identities recently, like the device filters, which help us to enforce the use of a specific device. Conditional access for workload identities, we are able uh, to protect our service principles as well. Unfortunately, it is restricted to use IP address as condition, which uh, means you need to know what is a trusted uh, IP range of your workload, but I think it's a, it's a good first step to bring conditional access for our non-human identities to
3: Well, that's surprising that they would they would use IP address for that because that's something that's kind of out of your control in a lot of ways, especially if you're consuming cloud-based services that aren't your own.
2: Thomas, earlier you you, you had also talked about. Um privileged access workstations or secure access workstations as being uh, an integral part of this, this model. Can you talk a little bit more about that in Azure?
0: Yeah, sure. As far as I know, is it is not directly a part of the enterprise access model. But uh, as I said in my session, we have some various sources of best practices for Microsoft. So we have the Cloud Adoption Framework. There's something like the Azure Security Benchmark, which give us uh, security controls. And definitions about privilege access and the enterprise access model. And what is really important to understand, in my opinion, the secure admin workstation is part uh, of a security control description in Azure Security Benchmark. So it's not a uh, nice to have, uh, and we, we should really consider to have a secure admin workstation for every global admin at minimum. Maybe for all control plane admins of people that are responsible for identity management, I think that should be very helpful. And there's also some good ideas about using cloud-managed secure admin workstations. So uh, it is very cheap, in my opinion, to, to manage a secure admin workstation as part of a modern workplace in Intune. But on the other hand, the most problem still exists similar to the privilege admin workstation in the ESAE. If the admin is a good friend of having a separated device, which is, I think, the simplest way to implement uh, POR, but on the other side, it is uh, more the request to have one device and to bring virtualization layer to split uh, productivity workload and privilege access. I think that is a really hard work. To bring it on uh, on the same device via virtualization layer.
2: Yes, uh, that makes a lot of sense, and and certainly a a basic a basic tenet of this security. And I think that it is being done a lot less in Azure or, or in Azure AD or Azure AD administration is to have a separate privileged access workstation, uh, perhaps because it's so easy to be a regular user. In your on-premises environment, and have that person be a global admin in a cloud environment, instead of having them completely separate.
0: But but on the other side, um, I, there's there's one thing that I totally uh, disagree in my uh, because f- from my experience, there's a lot of requests uh, for using Azure Virtual Desktops as a replacement or alternate solution for uh, for a secure admin workstation. And I think if we like to protect such critical roles like global admin, I think it is a lot of privilege escalation paths if you are running Azure Virtual Desktop as a secure admin desktop, because uh, there's a lot of resources included and you need to uh, separate those resources because if the Azure admin is managed the Azure Virtual Desktop, and the, the global admin is running their privilege operations from this device. I think that is not a clean separation between a control and management plane. Mm. And that is something what we've seen in the past with the cloud shell. So maybe some of uh, you know their beautiful way to run a PowerShell within the Azure portal. And there's this plop storage behind the cloud shell. And we must also isolate the cloud sh- shell storage from the normal storage contributor admin. Otherwise, uh, they can mount some suspicious scripts as part of this blob storage. So I think it's still a question about preventing privilege escalation. That is, I think, one of the top rules that should be considered in designing a secure admin. It's certainly the
2: challenge is to find those escalation paths. People are familiar with years of of experience. They're more familiar with finding the escalation paths on premises than they are in Azure. And as we said, it's more complicated. Uh, So it's easier to do such a thing.
0: Yeah, and especially in a hybrid environment, right?
2: (laughs) Yes, even worse.
3: So, Thomas, um, when you're talking to developers and development teams, how are they thinking about and adopting this new security model? Is is this totally new territory for them, or are they able to incorporate this into their this this kind of thinking into their workflows and application design?
0: I think it is uh, very important to make clear what is the target resource for a developer because uh, the most uh, access they are looking for is, in my opinion, on a a contribution level from specific resources. And we are able to uh, provide them the freedom of uh, deploy also resources uh, as far as they are past our compliance policies, I think we can also delegate them um, on a the resource group level, a lot of things that are needed for their daily work. Because I think developers are really looking forward to keep on uh, deploying their resources, what they like. But I think it has nothing to do with the enterprise access model. But uh, as long they are in the term of a um, workload admin, and uh, they have not the same permissions in a, a resource group like uh, where the main controllers uh, are deployed. I think uh, we can also uh, still achieve a lot of freedom within their separated zone. And that brings me back to the cloud adoption framework and the enterprise scale model from Microsoft, which defines uh, landing zones, a kind of zone for, for a workload. Where a lot of freedom uh, will be delegated, but they must pass the Azure policies. Maybe there's a blueprint for the Azure RBAC. So within the role assignment, they have um, also all the things that are needed for developing and deploying their apps. And I think that is the goal. It is not only about the enterprise access model, it's all about a real cloud adoption strategy. And the enterprise access model is only take a place that. Um, they have no uh, overprivileged roads, in my opinion.
3: Okay. And do you find that the developers are going along easily with this kind of a model? Or, you know, it, it seems to me it would be a fairly large change in mindset um, as far as managing security. Is, is it something that they struggle with in, in terms of changing gears to a cloud service access model?
0: I think it really depends on the adoption level from, for example, infrastructure as code tools. Because if the developers are already using uh, templates for deploying their uh, assets in Azure... I think there could be also a process which is well integrated with the other planes or, or levels in the enterprise access model. I'd like to give an example. If, for example, a developer uh, likes to deploy a different configuration um, of a resource than it is defined in the in the template. Uh, so they can request the change of their uh, Azure resource template or maybe also Terraform uh, configuration file. And there's an approval process by the management plane that say, okay, we, uh, that's okay. We define that as a new standard or that is an exclusion from, from our policy. So it is important and that I also shown in my session that we have always the chance that uh, people from the workload plane can modify and request changes uh, on the management plane. And also the management plane is interested to uh, manage maybe security policies that also affects identity workloads. They can change the policies, but only if the Uh, control plane uh, approved this request and that's i think very important that we have some some integration between the different uh, tiers levels
3: i've got one more question that and and i'm I'm sort of thinking about classical on-prem identity and access management problems uh, and how they might relate to this cloud delivery model and i was thinking about compliance issues so a lot of times, if you have an identity and access management group inside IT, or, or it might be the Active Directory team or something like that, they're tasked with fairly significant amount of work related to compliance and either servicing audits or generating reports for quarterly or annual reporting requirements. Do we have the same sort of thing in this environment and do the platforms support that well?
0: I think it's it's all about automation and self-service. So uh, I've shown in my uh, interpretation of the enterprise access model a lot of options to delegate for for the owner of of the of the privilege uh, identity and access management the chance to to delegate. Uh, Such tasks. For example, uh, that the people who are working on the management plane have to review their own access on a regular basis. But uh, also when it comes to help desk, that we have also delegation on the control plane with the uh, several scopes. That they can um, support the identity ops for managing the privileged identities, but only with a really strict, restricted scope. I think it is better than uh, back to the Active Directory days because identity governance. Uh, The privilege identity management in Azure AD and other features, and especially the option to uh, have programmatically access to the Graph API, give us a lot of room for uh, reducing all the compliance and governance stuff that will be handled manually or as part of uh, the operational overload.
3: Cool. Thanks.
2: Well, thank you, Thomas. This has been very enlightening. It's certainly an area that I didn't know very much about beforehand, and I do feel like I understand it a little bit better now. As I said, you know, Thomas has spoken about this topic at HIP Global, so I recommend you go to to, hipconf.com to check it out. And thanks very much for everybody's time, Thomas and Gil.
1: Thanks for joining us on the Hybrid Identity Protection Podcast with Sean Doobie. Be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Visit hipconf.com, that's H-I-P-C-O-N-F.com to learn about upcoming events, view expert presentations, and take part in the conversation.